Well, to take a leaf out of the book of our patron saint, whose conversion we celebrate today, and who famously wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am nothing. I'd like to start by reading in a foreign language. Here goes. Vad joha vaj lab the quo, velth gat not bad daj waje ne puklod, vel lef hatata dag gashud gob chilke ak gajitanal yilin. Anyone know what I just said? Uh, well, it was actually John 3.16. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, that was the easy part. What language was that? Anybody want to guess? Sorry? Yeah, Betsy says Klingon. <laughs> and she's right. <laughs> The native tongue of the sworn enemies of the human race in Star Trek. (laughs) And yes, someone with way too much time on their hands, (laughs) MrKlingon.org to name names, has translated the Bible into Klingon based on the phonetic and linguistic clues found in the original 1960s TV show. He needs to get out more. (laughs) Now, Klingon is actually a tongue that most humans are born with. Unlike all other human languages, we don't learn it, it's innate. We first spoke it as babes when our mother left the room and we became anxious that she would never return. We spoke it too when we were left with the babysitter and when we were abandoned at the gates of the day school. (laughs) We uttered pure cling-on when our best friend moved to another state, when our grandparents died and when our first love went to college and moved on with their life with new friends and a new sweetheart. We cling on to all sorts of things, especially those things that love us in return. And when we catch a glimpse of loss as it creeps into our peripheral vision and loiters with menacing intent, biding its time before it strikes at our hearts, we cling on all the more tightly. Don't leave, we say. Don't die. Don't move out. Don't cut me off. Stay with me. And we cling on. Even when God is telling us it's time to let go. Saul of Tarsus had to let go. He had clung on for decades. A lifetime of winning admiration, building a persona, creating and polishing his glittering career. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as he puts it. We usually think of Paul's conversion like it were powdered orange juice. Only for him, it was powdered transformation. Just add water and in an instant, be changed. In the seconds, it took him to pick himself up off the, off the Damascus Road, where he had been tossed by his donkey. He was a new man, we instinctively think. The hateful Pharisee, now a son of love. The persecutor of Christians, in the twinkling of an eye, now one of their greatest leaders. 
But when we read Paul's own writing this morning from his letter to the Galatians, we spot a tiny morsel of autobiography that reveals an altogether different story. A tale of travel, a journey, a long and painstaking journey from Pharisee to Apostle. Boldly going where no man has gone before. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the Church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God was pleased to reveal his son to me, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me, but I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years... I went to Jerusalem to visit Peter. Three years. Three interminable years. 36 months of confusion, disorientation and loss. Were two years not enough, Lord? We can imagine him praying. When, what can I learn from one more day of this reflection, this isolation, this wretched, never-ending rumination? He'd set out that morning to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations. One in particular, the baby Christian church, with the aim of smothering it in its crib. Three years since that day when his donkey, a flashing light show, and the arresting voice of Jesus had conspired to send him sprawling to the dust. And he still didn't get it completely. Was it worth it? Oh yes. The bruises from his ungainly dismount soon faded, but the memory of that encounter with the Jesus he had hated was now a constant sweet companion. Would he take it back if he could? Trade it once again for the old certainties. Let himself be beamed back up to the mothership of his old life. Never. This was a different enterprise. His heart had changed. The hate had melted. The pride evaporated. The searing judgmental arrogance vaporised by the soothing burn of Christ's phaser-like love. Truth be told, he lost a lot more than his dignity when he lay in the dust at the feet of his donkey. There was power in the synagogues, councils and the cocktail parties of the political class. Then there was his security. His former job as a Pharisee kept him comfortable. And respect. Saul, famous teacher of God. Even that name. Add that to the list of things he'd lost. And there was certainty. Of all his bereavements, that was the one that stung the most. He'd known it all his life. 
Now, in one moment, his convictions were trampled under donkey's feet. His old swagger was gone. His comforting reassurance that he was right demolished. The secure castle of religious correctness flattened. Oh, the deep urge to cling on to the old certainties, the old prestige, his old comfortable existence. It was life, Jim, but not as he knew it. Each of us lives with loss. It's a normal part of being human, an enterprise so frustrating but so promising. For many, the loss is physical health or mobility or one of the senses. For others, it's a loss of mental agility and memory. Even in good economic times, many live with the loss of financial resources and material things, perhaps the loss of employment or the loss of prospects. We all know the loss when a loved one leaves as a result of death, or they relocate, or they stop loving and file for divorce, or they grow up and leave home. And of all the losses that we face, I suspect the loss of relationships is the hardest. We are tempted to curse our humanity, to wish that we could be Vulcans and let our logic shield us from the pain of lost love and dead dreams. But here's the logic of God, the deep liberating truth, if we dare to embrace it. The future for Klingons is not rosy. The person who refuses to give up what they cannot keep is sentencing themselves to a long, hard and bitter bereavement. Giving things over to God is the hardest thing we can do. Conceding with a broken heart that his way is perfect and even if we don't understand them, his plans are for the best is so desperately difficult. Yielding ownership and control of things and people is the way of the cross. But the way of the cross is the way of life. The act of relinquishment is the means by which we receive more than we can imagine. The path of submission is the path to joy. Our fear... Our pain, our humanity, scream at us to fight the loss we're facing. Don't give in to it. And with all our passion and all our faith, we can beg God to prevent it or reverse it. But resisting a loss that God has ordained is futile and makes our pain more intense and longer lasting. Paul had to hand over his reputation, his security, his career, his pride, his old certainties. It took him three years to wrestle with God before he was ready for the new life that was God's perfect, joyous, glorious plan. If he had not, we may not be here today. But even if we were, we would not be called after a man named St. Paul, and we wouldn't have just read from one of his letters. 
Change occurs in a moment, and then comes a desperate period of transition, dominated by chaos, confusion, and a bewildering neutral zone, where we learn to give up hopes, dreams, relationships, things, or meanings. That's what William Bridges says. Transition is unavoidable. The temptation, he says, is to cling on to the thing that we lost, to go out and fix the problem, to undo the reality of the change. But when we do that, we miss out on the beautiful fruit of transition. The chaos and the pain give birth to growth, creativity and encounters with God. We become new people that we can't even imagine when we're in the chaos. But it's only the brave who experience it. Because the pain of the chaos can be so overwhelming that we can just want it to end before it has done its work. So we move house, or start a new relationship, or change jobs, or something that we think will give us new life and hope and joy. Renewal will come in time, but first we must endure the painful work of living with the chaos. And that confused and bereft soul, looking for inspiration, counting every day of three long years, and thinking in Klingon, let go and change the world. Let me finish with the story of the only survivor of a shipwreck who is washed up on a small desert island. After days of gazing at the horizon for the merest hint that he might be rescued, he accepts his fate and settles down to make the best of his new life. The next day he gathers driftwood and other flotsam and builds a shelter. He's proud of his little house and it serves him well. Now he is safe from the weather and from predators. More than that, he has somewhere to call home. But one day, when his life is settling into a contented pattern, he's out scavenging for food on the other side of the island when disaster strikes. Smoke rises from the direction of his little house. He hurries back to find his home in flames. He has lost everything. He curses his misfortune and shakes his fist at the sky in anger for how God has destroyed his life. That night, he falls asleep under the stars, weeping as his hut continues to smoulder. Early the next day, he is woken by the foghorn of a ship approaching the island. It has come to rescue him. Overjoyed, he runs to meet the ship's rowing boat as it comes ashore. How did you know I was here? he shouts to his rescuers. We saw your smoke signal, they replied. The fire he thought destroyed his life was the means by which he was saved. And so may you boldly go on your lifelong mission, empty-handed, and receive the gift of God.